Well, good morning on this um, ninth day of the 12 days of Christmas, and uh, Happy New Year as well as we uh, enter into 2022. Uh, you know, amid all of the um, busyness of this Christmas season, um, added to it all, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my uh, 24-year-old son, uh, Cole, graduated from Azusa Pacific University, and between Cindy and I, that makes four of our kids that have degrees from APU, um, and when, when he was growing up, um, I should have known that he would major in science because his favorite TV show growing up was Mythbusters. And if you remember the show, for 17 seasons um, on the Discovery Channel, Mythbusters would use science to investigate myths and rumors and claims in movies and things like that. Um, well, on this ninth day of the 12 days of Christmas, um, I am going to need to do a little myth-busting of our understanding of one part of the Christmas story, um, and, um, and so I hope you'll forgive me while I do that. Um, in the ancient uh, Christian calendar, um, Thursday of next week is the day of Epiphany, which marks the end of the Christmas season, of the 12 days of Christmas, and the beginning of the season of Epiphany. Now, Christians around the world have been observing the day of Epiphany for centuries um, by um, being reminded of how Jesus reveals himself to the world. Um, in fact, the word Epiphany means um, a manifestation or a surprising insight that comes. And many Christians around the world recall how mysterious men from the East traveled to worship Jesus and present him with gifts. In fact, sometimes Epiphany is called um, the day of the three wise men. And uh, today we're going to look at that story of the Magi, the wise men, came from the east. But we're going to do a little myth-busting about that story. And so uh, some of your assumptions might be called into question. Here's how our nativity scenes frequently present the story of the Magi. We see the picture... Um, I see it on the confidence screen, but not behind me. Well, you've seen the picture um, of Mary and Jesus, Jesus, um, Jesus in the manger, Mary and Joseph gathered around the manger, and the shepherds there, the angels singing, and the wise men, or the magi from the east, kneeling down and presenting their gifts to Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. But it's probably not, or it's definitely not what happened. Um, because according to the Bible, the Magi were not even present when Jesus was born. Um, and so let's look at what the Bible really says happened in this story in Matthew chapter 2, um, beginning in verse 1. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When the king heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find it, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went on ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Notice that phrase in verse 1, after the birth of Jesus, after Jesus was born. Everything we read here took place after the birth of Jesus. And if you listen carefully to Herod's question to the Magi in verse 7, seven when I read it, you'll see that the Magi first saw the star when Jesus was born. So while the angels were singing glory to God in the highest and while the shepherds were traveling um, and worshiping in the manger, that's when the magi in their hometown in the east saw the star, interpreted what the star meant and began planning their journey to follow the star. Now who exactly were these guys? Some Bible translations call them wise men. And our Christmas song we just sang a minute ago called them kings. Um, the word magi refers to a class of advisors who would study and interpret the stars for kings or politicians or rulers. In fact, Eric and I had a little discussion about changing the lyrics to that song to advisors of kings, but he said it didn't rhyme. And so he kept it as kings. Now, Magi were common throughout the ancient world, particularly in places like Persia, Babylon, and Arabia. And these particular Magi, this particular group, most likely came from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, about 900 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Now, a journey from Babylon to Jerusalem would have taken a very long time to plan out and then to travel, probably well over a year. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us how many magi they were. The Western church tradition speculates that there might have been three magi, as we sang, we three kings. Um, and that's an inference based on the fact that the magi present three different gifts to Jesus. And so they thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe there were three magi, one for each gift. But in the Eastern Orthodox church tradition, they suggest that there are as many, were as many as 12 magi who traveled. We just don't know, and Matthew doesn't tell us. Now, what is exactly was this star that they followed? Since the time of the German astronomer Johann Kepler, astronomers have tried to figure out exactly what this thing in the sky might have been. Um, Kepler concluded that the star was a supernova, a bright explosion of a dying star. Um, recently, a Bible scholar and astronomer named Colin Nickel wrote a book suggesting that it was a comet that the Magi saw, and still others have suggested it was some kind of planetary 
planetary conjunction where Jupiter, Saturn, and perhaps Mars as well all passed so closely together in their orbit that it created a bright light in the sky. Whatever it was, this phenomenon appeared to the Magi when Jesus was born and it continued on until they finished their journey and found Jesus. When the Magi um, reach Jerusalem, the capital city, they encounter a man named Herod. Now, since they were looking for the king of the Jews, it would make sense that they would stop in the capital city of Israel, the place you would expect the king of Israel to be living. But Jerusalem is where Herod lives. And about four decades earlier, the Roman Senate had given Herod the title the king of the Jews. Herod ruled over Israel for the Romans from 40 BC until he died in 4 BC. Now, Herod was not Israel's rightful king. Herod wasn't even Jewish. He was a pretender. He was a puppet king installed by the Roman government with the Romans pulling the strings in order to keep Israel under the thumb of Rome. To remain in power, Herod developed a reputation for being a savvy politician, ruthless and willing to resort to violence. And so when these magi arrive mysteriously from the east to say that Israel's true king has been born, Herod is disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Herod assembles a group of Bible scholars and theologians for consultation and they tell him that Israel's true king was to be born in the city of Bethlehem, which is just a few miles south of Jerusalem. And here we find yet another promise that God made and kept through the prophet Micah about the arrival of Jesus. With this new information, Herod pretends to be as excited about the birth of the king as the Magi were. He assures the Magi that he too wants to worship this new king. And here Herod shows himself to be a skilled politician, able to convincingly fake sincerity in order to manipulate people and to promote his own self-interest. He'd fit right into politics today. Herod sends the Magi to Bethlehem with instructions that they report back to him exactly what they find so he too can go to Bethlehem and worship the new king. When the Magi arrive in Bethlehem, they find Jesus. In verse 11 of our reading, Matthew calls Jesus a child here, which is a different word than the Greek word for baby or infant. Jesus was probably around two years old when the Magi arrived in Bethlehem. A young child, but no longer an infant. And in an act of worship, the Magi present their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. I bet that wasn't on anybody's Christmas list this year, but that's what they presented. They, these were all valuable gifts. And throughout church history, um, Christians have often interpreted the three gifts as reflecting three different aspects of Jesus. Um, the gold reflecting Jesus's kingship, 
the frankincense reflecting his godhood and the uh, myrrh which was often used for embalming dead bodies to prepare them for burial um, as reflecting and foreshadowing Jesus' sacrifice. In fact, we sang it in that hymn, King, God, and Sacrifice. Reflecting these three gifts. Whatever these gifts symbolized, they were extremely valuable and presented to Jesus in an act of worship. Then warned in a dream not to report back to Herod, the Magi begin their long journey home along a different route, avoiding Jerusalem. And this leads to what's been called the flight to Egypt in verses 13 through 18. Look at it with me. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. That's Hosea 11.1. 1. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were, under, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. An angel warns Joseph of Herod's murderous intentions. And so he awakens Mary and together they take Jesus and they flee to Egypt for refuge. Meanwhile, Herod, filled with rage, orders his soldiers to murder all the boys in Bethlehem who are two years old and younger. This event is sometimes called the Massacre of the Innocents. And it was a horrible day of violence, brutality, and murder. In fact, some Christian traditions view these boys that were murdered by Herod as the very first Christian martyrs to die for Jesus. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus find shelter in Egypt until Herod himself finally dies. And then Joseph returns, this time not to Bethlehem, but to his hometown of Nazareth. And here again, we find God fulfilling a promise. A promise made in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament that Jesus would come out of Egypt just like Israel had come out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. The story of the Magi is a story about mysterious figures from the east making a long and dangerous journey to worship Jesus, surrounded by paranoia, violence, and hatred. And this story is the heart of Epiphany. Epiphany reveals that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. It's hard to imagine a group of people who were less like the Jewish people than the Magi were. They were different culturally, religiously, ethnically. 
The, the Magi worshipped many gods. The people of Israel worshipped one god. The, the Magi, if they were from Babylon, they probably spoke Akkadian, whereas the people of Israel spoke Hebrew and Greek or Hebrew and Aramaic. The Magi didn't have the written word of God like the people of Israel had. They were following a star. You know, the Bible sometimes calls non-Jewish people Gentiles. Most of us would be Gentiles if we're not of Jewish descent. Well, the Magi were as Gentile as Gentiles could be. And yet Jesus was revealed to them. They experienced an epiphany a manifestation of his glory. The story of the Magi foreshadows the fact that Jesus is for everyone. Now that Jesus has arrived, the people of God are no longer defined by ethnicity or bloodlines or tribe or nationality or ancestry by common faith in Jesus. Jesus is for everyone. And I want you to notice that the Magi started their journey to an epiphany of Jesus with what they already knew about. They were ancient astronomers. And when they saw the star in the sky, they interpreted it and knew to follow it. They understood what the star meant because of what they already knew. Their journey to Jesus began with what was familiar to them. But what they already knew only took them so far. What they already knew got them as far as Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was closer to Jesus than Babylon was. But they still weren't quite there yet. To get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, to finish their journey towards an encounter with Jesus, the Magi needed something outside of themselves. They needed God's people and God's word to get them the rest of the way. They never would have been able to figure out that Bethlehem was the last part of their journey without the people of God interpreting the word of God for them. And sharing it with them. And only after receiving guidance from God's people and God's word were they able to make the last part of their journey to have an epiphany of Jesus. And this is often the way it is for us today. We start our journey towards Jesus with what we know, with what's familiar, with our own experience. Some people start their journey to Jesus through beauty. As they experience the beauty of the natural world or, or the beauty of art. That points them to God without them even knowing it. N.T. Wright says that beauty ushers us into the mystery of God. For, for others, it's the life of the mind. It's, it's logic and reasoning that begins them on their journey to Jesus. One of my sons dabbled with atheism for, for almost a decade. But, but later in life, he decided to go to college and he studied philosophy. And um, as he began to read classical philosophers like Plato, Aristotle, Kant, and Kierkegaard, he became more and more convinced that God existed, that God loved him, and that God was pursuing a relationship with him. His journey back to his faith in Jesus was guided by the life of the mind. 
For still others, this journey to Jesus starts with a deep inner sense of restlessness, a spiritual void or emptiness. The the ancient African theologian Augustine put it this way when he wrote a prayer, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, O Lord. Or as that other theologian Bono puts it, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That inner sense of restlessness for meaning and significance. Anyone who pays attention to the beauty of our world or the life of the mind or that inner sense of restlessness is on a journey towards Jesus even if they don't know it yet. But like the Magi, that'll only take us so far. We eventually reach a point where we need God's people and God's word to take us the rest of the way. We need the light that comes from the word of God. We start our journey with what we know. But if the journey is going to end with an epiphany with Jesus, we need the people of God and the word of God to take us on the last leg of that journey. Epiphany reveals that Jesus is for everyone. But it also reveals that not everyone is for Jesus. Not everyone is for Jesus. You know, Jesus was for Herod too. Herod's own journey towards Jesus, though, was short-circuited by his own greed, his own ambition for power, his own paranoia and fear. Now, give him credit, Herod was able to fake it. He could act sincere like an actor in a play, and he could fool people. He fooled the Magi, wise advisors. I think that the Magi would have reported back to Herod if God had not warned them in a dream not to. Herod was convincing, even to the wise and the sincere. Epiphany warns us that not everyone who says they're for Jesus is really for Jesus. Even if they say they're for Jesus in a church from a pulpit or in the pages of a book or over the airwaves of radio or TV. Although Jesus is for everyone and Jesus invites everyone to come to him, not everyone will come to him. Some become so tangled in their own self-interest, so invested in their own ambitions, so puffed up with their own self-importance that they never hear or consider responding to the invitation to have an epiphany of Jesus. And for these people, Jesus is a threat. Even as a child, Jesus was a threat to Herod. Enough of a threat for him to try to destroy Jesus and to kill many, many innocent lives as well. Epiphany reminds us not everyone is for Jesus. And sometimes it's people like Herod, people who act devoted to Jesus who are the most opposed to him. Sometimes people who talk about Jesus, but the Jesus they talk about is not the Jesus that we encounter in the Bible, but it's a Jesus of their own creation. 
made in the image of their own self-interests and agenda. And perhaps more damage is done to the church in the world by those who pretend devotion to Jesus, but who have refashioned and reshaped Jesus into their own image. Jesus is for everyone, but not everyone is for him. God sent his son into the world for the whole world. But when he did so, he sent light into darkness, and the darkness will fight back. The story of the Magi contrasts two different kinds of people. The Magi who had an epiphany of Jesus, and Herod who tried to destroy Jesus. When we have an epiphany of Jesus, it's often surprising. In fact, C.S. Lewis's own conversion story is called Surprised by Joy because he was so surprised that his yearning, that inner restlessness led him to faith in Jesus. When people I went to high school with find out that I'm a a Christian and a pastor now, sometimes they do a double take because in, in high school, I was a campus atheist. My own journey to Jesus surprised me and surprised the people around me. Epiphany marks the end of the Christmas season. But that doesn't mean we stop being surprised by Jesus. Starting next Sunday, we're, we're going to start a new eight-week series during the season of Epiphany that we're calling Jesus Revealed. Consider the, the next eight weeks a season of surprise, a season of epiphany. And for those eight weeks, we're going to look at each of Jesus's I am statements from the gospel of John, like I am the good shepherd and I am the light of the world and I am the resurrection. And each week we'll look at one of those statements and see how they reveal surprising things about Jesus to us. You know, one of our core values here at Glenkirk is to be a worshiping community. For the Magi, their epiphany of Jesus led them to worship Jesus. Our community is defined by our worship of God who has revealed himself through his son to us. So each week we we gather to worship him through music, through celebrating the sacraments as we'll do with communion this morning, through teaching from the Bible, through prayer. And my hope is that as we are surprised by Jesus over the next eight weeks, And as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, that our worship of God will deepen and that we will bow and worship even as the Magi did. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this surprising story, this unexpected group who arrives to worship Jesus. And Lord, I think of the the many unexpected and surprising people that I've seen come to you. People we never would have anticipated. Because Jesus is for everyone. Lord, help us as a church be for everyone as well. Help us not limit our hearts 
or our vision or our efforts just towards people who are like us. Help us live this story. And Father, as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper today, may it nourish and strengthen us in our journey of faith. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.